talk show for all things automotive. From the latest news to the greatest views and the biggest names in rolling iron. Your host is Brett Hatfield, freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com and owner of his own small but growing fleet of cool cars. Get behind the wheel of an hour of car talk starting right now. Thank you for listening to Driven Radio. We are your home for the very best in automotive content and interviews. If you're listening to us, you are in the know. Uh, you can find us online at readthedriven.com, uh, on iTunes, Pippa, Stitcher, Google Play, everywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, please follow us on Facebook at forward slash Driven Radio Show, on Twitter at Driven Radio Show, and on Instagram at Read the Driven. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in this fine, lavish, <laughs> unbelievable studio we've got here this is just i run out of ex of of great words to describe this it is glorious it is it's got padded walls and everything oh yeah special just for us all this fantastic acoustic foam in here it's really cool i'm your host brett hatfield i'm here with my co-host Vern estes hey there shelby expert and owner of the world's lowest volume car dealership although you say that, and you got good inventory right now, so I'm not sure you can make that claim very much. You know, all this talk about the collector car market weakening up, and all of a sudden I'm buying a lot of cars. Yeah, you Weird. Got, and got Everybody you the, wants to sell me cars now. <laughs> got you in the mood, didn't it? <laughs> uh, either that or it got them in the mood. I'm always in the mood for a deal. No, all you got to do is sell them. Yeah, I hate selling them, though. <laughs> I'm like the world's worst car dealer because I really enjoy no, no, buying no, no, them. No. I own that title. You saw how much money I lost on that car. I that hate deal. selling the cars. I enjoy chasing it buying it having it the day i sell it i just i enjoyed i'm actually a little bit depressed the the problem i had with my corvette dealership is i fell in love with every piece of inventory i had Mm -hmm. and then i didn't want to sell any i'm i'm a crap salesman i really am it was always kind of you know if you don't like it just hit the bricks you know where the door is so uh yeah i'm not a very good salesman i'm i may have been able to beat you out for world's lowest volume car dealership when i had mine well we'll see what happens you know given the way the market is i think it's actually pretty good i mean shelby price has been pretty pretty steady but uh yeah a lot of people have been uh agreeing to sell me cars so i still we'll got see that, how well that goes i still got that super hot 61 impala i'll trade you for a fastback staying we got plenty of fastback stains it just depends on how much money you're putting on yeah, the table no, with the car no kidding <laughs> <laughs> and we're here with our engineer extraordinaire who couldn't be more bored with us mr matthew hickman that's just not true oh, oh his first you, appearance on the podcast there you go. everyone see and then we finally get to hear his dulcet tones on the air that's fantastic for those listening matt has uh, just a beard that I could oh, he, try to describe it, but there's has, just no words. He has a word that I don't use very often intentionally. He has an epic beard. Epic, glorious, sumptuous, beautiful. I don't know. It's, it's one of those. Maybe all of them. It's one of those things you look at and you just you want to think about rolling around in it. Doesn't it look like it'd be fun? It looks warm. Like it you does. could hibernate in it. It absolutely does. Hey, uh, this week I want to talk to you about Bugatti breaking okay. a huge speed record. Uh, you want to talk to me about my Bugatti? Uh, sure, yeah. You want to buy a Bugatti? <laughs> if you can throw down for that, I'd like to see it. Uh, the C8 Corvette, has, they came out, a, a video was leaked 
Yeah, oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. leaked. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm using the big well, Accidentally quotes. emailed the Motor Trend and Road and Track. Yeah, right? and, and Car and Driver. Don't miss them, Sure, too. right. Uh, about the uh, forthcoming Corvette's top speed. And I finally got to do something that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. I drove a Porsche 993 over the weekend and fell in love a little bit. And now I kind of get what a lot of the Porsche purists have been talking about for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. when I always thought, yeah, how good can it be? It can be awfully good. So sure. There's all that good stuff. Plus, we've got uh, Doug Landon's going to be on the show with us. He's the founder and organizer of the Vale Automotive Classic, which is where I will be this weekend. Lucky dog. Some of that crisp mountain air. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It just and, smells different out there. Well, it smells different than it does in here. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you couldn't have been online this week and not seen the video clip of Bugatti uh taking a modified Chiron and breaking the 300 mile an hour. Mark. You know, and honestly, thank God, because I was getting so bored at 261. It was just <laughs> excruciating to just sit there at 261. Well, and the, the 261 sort of mark, doze off. The 261 mark, that was a limiter that they'd had in the Veyrons and the Chirons sure. and all that stuff. And just why? I mean, of course you need to go faster than that. So, of course, we need to, we need to take that limiter off. Well, you know... There's uh, not a public road in the world. No. That a retail no. customer no there's get not on. one there's not one you know a lot of people who don't know the difference would argue oh you could do that on the auto button that's mm, not gonna happen you cannot no you there's can't. not there's probably not a there's probably not an unrestricted zone long enough to even do it on no I, I even don't. if the road was clear i don't think you could well up until now uh koenigsegg has been claiming that they had the top speed record for any manufacturer mm-hmm. at uh 284 and change and uh bugatti said okay we're, we're going to go after this once. And if you read the article that we'll have a link to on the website, uh, they spent about a week building up to it and working oh, sure. on it. And when they... Confirming the tires are strong enough to oh, handle yeah. it. Well, it, the tires it, are the biggest issue. And that's, that's the real story that's here. But they spent about a week doing it and uh, they had taken a regular Chiron and lengthened the bodywork about mm-hmm. 10 inches to create uh, the arrow that was needed. They took off the big wing that's you know a characteristic of the very and the Chirons that also adds for braking force. The rumor that I've heard is that that spec of car will become the next generation of the Super Sport. Would that surprise you? No. I mean, not at all. They need something else to sell the kind of people that can afford a Bugatti Veyron. They're going to say, well, it can go 300 now. I need a Super Sport. And they're yeah. going to buy a second one because they already have a standard one. That's how that works. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and they also managed to squeeze another 78 horsepower out of it, which when you got a car that puts out 1,500 horse, isn't 78 horse just negligible? I don't even, I mean, like change the settings in the dyno that you're running it yeah, on and all of a sudden you have 78 does, horsepower it, more. It, it's probably yeah. a tweak in the chip or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh they removed the limiter, they extended the bodywork, they removed the wing, lengthened the tail, um, and they lowered the car a little bit. I like the livery on it. It looked it looked real mean with it, those little orange stripes on the it hood. It really did. It and good. if you if you caught the profile shot on the car or three quarter shot, they really did lower it down considerably. Mm-hmm. It looked like it was a couple inches lower at least. I have been very impressed with Bugatti on the Chiron. It seems like when the Veyron came out, they were 
constantly making a huge fuss about the top speed. And outside of this video, there was there's not actually over the course of that car's history, the last two or three years, much been made of it. I think that's because everybody else is sort of gunning for that top speed mark. Yeah. But it's interesting that Bugatti seems to have, of course, they're going to always try to claim the mile per hour you know, kind of top of the hill position. Sure. But they've done a pretty good job over the last three years of sort of forgetting about it in the meantime. The car, those cars are so notorious for just being good at just like, it it sounds like it's a 300 mile per hour car. It must just be an absolute undrivable monster. But Bugattis are famous because they're just very comfortable. Yeah, they ride like a, almost like a Bentley. I mean, they're very... Outside well, of doing the top speed stuff, they're very uh, normal cars. You could yeah. actually drive it every day if you could afford the oil changes. Yeah, the $30,000 oil change sure. and the annual maintenance and all of that stuff. And again, the other real story to be to consider here is the tires. Mm-hmm. Michelin, it's a, the uh, Pilot Cup Sport 2s. They made a special version of it, and they said they were X-raying every tire before they put it on a car to make sure that everything was consistent. And, you know, and those tires were probably bald at the end of that run. I'm sure they were. Well, and consider about consider what the gas consumption must be. Being that we are commentators, journalists, whatever you want to call us, I have one nit to pick. Okay. When McLaren did the 240 plus run, and when Bugatti did their initial run with the Veyron, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of raw footage footage published. Mm -hmm. I just wish on this run, you know, they they published like a three to five minute video, and it was mostly like the preparation and the celebration afterwards. I just want to see the entire run with Andy Wallace barely moving the steering wheel yeah. and the like on the on the Veyron's run you see the trees flying by well, in like an unbelievable pace like that I want to see that cut and again uh, if you go read the article which is fairly lengthy they discuss in depth a change in the pavement on the back side of the track when you come down off the banking and into the straightaway and they said you know a regular car at regular speeds it's barely perceptible mm-hmm. and they said in this when you do it it's like a huge jolt and if there was a crosswind and you weren't really paying attention the thing would eat you alive but mm-hmm. anyway that's the record Bugatti says they're not going to pursue any more speed records or anything else but just shy of 305 miles an hour and that's it that's uh, it that's, <laughs> that's all that that was it our special guest this week on driven radio is Doug Land and Doug's going to be here to talk about what it's like to be a car guy in the Rockies how he started or organizing car shows, and the upcoming Vail Automotive Classic. All this and much more, much, much more. Much more. Much more. So much more. Is coming up on Driven Radio. Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. Our special guest this week is Doug Landon, founder and organizer of the Vail Automotive Classic, a unique and fun car show held in one of easily one of the most beautiful settings for any car show I've been to. Um, in fact, the background shot on our website on readthedriven.com is of Vail Village the morning of the show, and is just is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I agree with you. 
<laughs> uh, the show's rapidly becoming a must-attend event for uh, a lot of auto th- enthusiasts, myself included, and it's going to be this coming weekend, and I intend to be there. Uh, Doug, welcome to Driven Radio. Thank you very much. Now, uh, I'm really, really, really looking forward to coming back there Um you could ask for a much worse setting than Vail in September. Uh, We're looking forward to having you, Brett. Now, into your core about that. Uh oh, <laughs> we're going to have to talk about that. Uh, the Vail Automotive Classic wasn't your first car event. Uh, what was the first thing you organized? What was your first car gathering? Well, actually, it, 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 we're in our tenth year, and it always was the Vail Automotive Classic, but it, it came around from our local Cars and Coffee, which, you know, they have them all around the country. And I guess it was 11 years ago, I had just attended one because at the time I was driving a highly modified Land Rover, you know, lift, winch, all that stuff. And the guy who was in charge said, oh, you ought to bring it to the Cars and Coffee. And it was the last one of the year. And they did it in Vail Village and they did it by the covered bridge. And there must have been 40 cars. And uh, I just started thinking, this is pretty cool. What if we took it to another level? And so I reached out to a bunch of guys I worked with, all with very nice cars. And and I said, what if we create, at the time, I called it a concourse, but I knew that's not where we were headed. And, and we all met. And next thing you know, we had our first event 10 years ago. And, and it's slowly but surely uh, gotten a little bigger every year. So what motivated you to get involved and start organizing the event? I don't, you know, it's it's a hard question to answer. I just, you know, you're sitting there at at a local Cars and Coffee and you know you're in Vail, Colorado with a ton of second homeowners already. And suddenly this one weekend, and I want to say it was last weekend of October or first weekend of November, they all came out and there was a ton more people who had sent emails to Don Welch, who was the... The, the grandfather of our local cars and coffee thing, they couldn't make it. And that's, that's really what got me thinking about it. You know, I've never had hot rods or Porsches or anything like that. And, you know, right now I ride a really nice BMW motorcycle, but I do live in Vail and I do like cars. And I just thought about it and I said, you know, this could be kind of cool. And next thing you know, oh, we're in our 10th year. So your first year was 2009? Uh, nine or ten. I want to say 2010 was the first year. Okay. And what are some of the biggest hurdles of organizing this? Well, it's, it's it, I could never do this on my own. It's it's you know I've got to thank all of the board members and um, I think that if there is a hurdle, it's it's getting everybody on the same page and you know some of the guys want to really see a concourse here, but. Most of us still work for a living, and you got to have a lot of money to create a concourse. And, you know, we really put this thing together on kind of a shoestring budget, and we're trying to raise money for charity. How many people do you have involved? Uh, I want to say, including myself, there are seven board members, and um, I don't even, I can't even think of the title for Erin Hoban, but she's kind of our head cat herder and keeps us all in line. So, he helps raise money and, and what have you. So in organizing this, what has surprised you the most? What is the, the most eye-opening thing to deal with? I, I, think, I think the fact that there's such, such a large amount of big-time events here in Vail, 
whether it be World Cup skiing or, or, or bicycle racing or, or the concerts or what have you, I think, I think what surprised me the most is the fact that some of the locals, you know, the shopkeepers and restaurant owners, uh, they think that this weekend is, is possibly the, the most fun weekend of the entire summer. And clearly there are events quite a bit larger than ours. That's cool. Uh, we're speaking with Doug Landon. He's the founder and organizer of the Vail Automotive Classic. Doug, tell us how this has grown over the last decade. Can you say that one more time? Uh, tell us how this has grown over the past 10 years. What changes have you well, seen? Well, that's a great... Um, you know, we see... For Town of Vail, they're all about heads and beds. And I would say initially... Um, just about every car owner in the first year or two was Colorado and, and a lot of local people and a lot of day people. And, and it's really become a three or four, uh, night hotel event for all the people. And, and so, you know, the scope of where our, our participants come from, we've had winners from both coasts in different classes. Uh, we've had people up from Texas, people from the Midwest. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's really another event that the automotive enthusiast comes to Vail and starts, you know, they really look forward to it. And, you know, one of the, the really cool things is we've got two other major events going on here the same weekend. Uh, it's Oktoberfest over in the Lions Head part of Vail. And then we have the farmer's market, which is one block away from us. And it's the largest farmer's market in Colorado. So this is, this does encompass uh, several days. Uh, other than the car show, the, the, the ultimate event of the weekend, uh, tell us what all else is happening. Well, it all start on Friday morning. And what we'll do is we'll all gather at the, at the tennis parking lot right here in Vail, and we'll take a little drive up to the Steamboat Springs. And except for the interstate to walk out, it's all back roads. I try to look for curves. A lot of these people have never driven out here. We break it into three groups. Um, people who drive a little fast, the interstate, uh, the speed limit people, and then the people who go actually quite a bit slower, just enjoying the day. And it's a beautiful drive. And we go to Steamboat Springs for lunch. And then I take a, a little bit different route coming back. And it's 230 miles total. And so we'll leave here at 930. And I think we've got 60 some odd cars that are going to do the drive this year. And uh, then we come back that evening for a fun party. Uh, at one of the nice restaurants in Vail called Pepe's. It's right in the heart of Vail Village. And then Saturday, we have created a, a Cars and Coffee. And once again, it's where the participants can mingle with the local car crowd. And then there's a bunch of them go on their own drives. And as I mentioned before, it's Toberfest, which is food and music and all kinds of stuff. And a lot of people can go over there uh, in the afternoon and evening. And then Sunday morning is the car show uh, right downtown Vale Village and at the base of Vale Ski Mountain. So you mentioned that this is all a, a big fundraiser the weekend is uh who is who benefits from the fundraiser who are you uh, uh raising money for We're, we are raising money for for the Vail veterans program which is our local wounded warriors and we're raising money for eagle valley senior life one of our big proponents who's got an incredible motorcycle collection a guy named jerry sibley his wife has dementia and he started a non-profit uh where 
people with dementia, Alzheimer's, what have you, their daycare providers can take them during the day, either take a day off or do shop or what have you. So he was a very worthy cause. And uh, then there's a, we have a new one called Epic Promise, which is Bell Resorts, its own charity that, that gives to kids and stuff like that. So we're just trying to put a few bucks at these different worthy causes. What are your future hopes for the show? What are, what are the aspirations you've got going forward? Well, um, I'd love to see it, you know, continue to grow baby steps. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to raise more money. That is our, our toughest thing, you know, between our money, the car, the car show's free, you know, for all the people. And, and so we get our money from our sponsor dollars as well as from the participants. And I'd love to see that side of it grow and, and just see more and more people coming in from out of state. Uh, just to enjoy a really nice automotive weekend in Vail. Now, this is probably like asking you which one of your kids is your favorite, but do you have a favorite part to the weekend? Well, Sunday's clearly the favorite. And, and you know, we sent surveys out, and, uh, you know, everyone really likes the drive. It was the number behind the car show itself. It's It's the number one thing that people really enjoy. As I said, most of these people have never been on these roads and they're, they're nicely paved and lots of curves and what have you. And so it's a really fun drive, but Sunday's my favorite part simply because I can, I go to the car owners and I thank them for coming and, you know, give them the dates for next year. Uh, I want to say September 11th to the 13th. And I just really appreciate, I really appreciate the people who took the time to spend a weekend here. Can you give us the uh, uh, website or any information on Vail Veterans? Yeah, it's it's um it's uh, www.vailautomotiveclassic.com, all one word. And um, I will tell you, it's not 100% accurate. We had some changes late in the spring, and um, we we just had to make a few last minute adjustments. But it's it's almost completely accurate, and it will be completely accurate next year. We've been speaking to Doug Landon, founder and organizer of the Vail Automotive Classic. You can find Doug at www.landonandvail.com. That's L-A-L-A-N-D-I-N-V-A-I-L.com. You can also find Doug on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. The Vail Automotive Classic can be found online at www.availautomotiveclassic.com. Also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And as always, you can find all of these links on Read the Drift. Doug, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. And and the best way to reach me is my email at Doug at VailAutomotiveClassic.com. Thank you very much. Uh, coming up next, next Lane Live, we're going to be discussing a recent study concerning, concerning red light bandits and how dangerous they've become here on Driven Radio. Back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. Now, 
last week, and probably every week for like the last couple of months, we talked about uh, the new Corvette. The we've C8 been Corvette. Did everybody know that it's mid-engined? I just... Uh, I would hope so amazing. by now. I would hope so by now. We have talked... that, But that has been some of the bigger manufacturing car world mm-hmm. news for a long time. It has been. And it's and, big news in general. You know, the single most collected car in the U.S. is a Corvette. And you can fit two golf clubs in it. Well, two golf club bags. I, and I, I know that's what you're looking for, and you're hoping that you I love got, golf. Actually, I think that's a great feature. Most people make fun of it for that, but I actually, I, I golf, so I actually really appreciate that it fits some golf bags. The Corvette has always been a very practical car. I'm looking for you to take me out and uh, get me refreshed. I haven't touched my clubs in a long time. They're very dusty. Oh, I'll take you out. I bet you will. You're disgusting. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so we last week we're talking about uh, Corvette news and how they were saying that they were coming out with a Z06 and a ZR1 and possibly supercharged and flat plane crank. And water is wet. Turbocharged and all this other, other Yeah, all the mm-hmm. other stuff. Uh, this week, somebody leaked. Again, leaked the Corvette, a video of a base model Corvette doing a top speed run. And mm. unfortunately, the video wasn't from a dead stop. They, it cuts in around 180 or so. Mm. And the base model Corvette winds up running to 194 miles an hour. Well, impressive. And yeah. Well, that's really fast. Not bad for something that you can just walk in with 60 grand approximately into your local Chevy dealer and just decide that you've got the money and you want to go 194. Yeah, not bad. Just God, for- God bless them. America something that bright. comes from a Chevy dealer. You know, there's, mm-hmm. what, 6,500 Chevy dealers? I mean, if it was a Ford, yeah, we'd get it. But the fact that it's a Chevy, I mean, it's amazing. You know, if and I And it were, doesn't fall apart in the process. If I were the guys <laughs> who were making Ford GTs right now, I'd be looking at this going, oh, good. So. Nah. Nah. N- no. Nah. No, it's, it's you know. I you love can, it. I love can, it. I love can, both. You can it's buy good. a decked out vet for 80 or you can buy a Ford GT for a half million. It's whatever. So. And why not? <laughs> If you got the money, you got to spend it on something. Yeah, no kidding. Well, anyway, uh, they said that the base model will run 194, but the Z51 won't because with the Z51, you get the taller uh, wing on the tail Mm -hmm. and it creates more drag and more downforce. And because of that, it's drag limited. It doesn't make it up to 194. Well, I guess we all have to buy the base model then. Well, I want to be able to go 194. I don't want it to feel good, you know, while I'm driving on country roads, but... I guess I just want to go 194. It's so silly. The top speed thing is hilarious. Get the magnetic ride if you want to feel good on country roads. Uh, Yeah, that's the thing. Where the hell are you going to go 194? I don't know. And if you really want to thrill, I would suggest taking a Volvo XC90 to 142. (laughs) (laughs) That is a thrill. A C8 Corvette. 194. I've, it sounds relaxing to me. 2007 Volvo XC90 at 142. Now that is excitement. Nin- Not that I've ever experienced it before. 1989 Saab 9000 Turbo up around a buck 30 depending upon how happy the speedometer was. I know what the Oh, Matt was. did that? No, I did that. Oh, well, I guess it's been more than seven years, so. It's, yeah, it's been uh, well, my... Because my, my brother did the Volvo thing. It wasn't me, so. Well, it happened happened in Mexico, so it couldn't be prosecuted here. Good. Uh, no, the Saab thing, 
I had a car seat in the back. Now there was nobody in the car seat, but it was my first daughter. And that daughter now has been married, divorced, and has two, you know, I have two grandkids because of her. So yeah, I think I'm out from under statute of limitations on it. And as far as driving, you know, it's slow car fast, always been the argument. It's mm-hmm. more exciting to drive a slow car fast than it is to drive a fast car slow. C8 Corvette though. C8 Corvette though. Cross, cross plane crank, flat plane crank. Well, with again, back to the, where are you going to go 194? Well, nowhere. Yeah. Take it to Bonneville, maybe. That's about it. I'm definitely not going to go 194 anywhere because that is illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Even if I could, and even if I had the road, Brett, I would, of course, never do that, and I would always obey my posted limits. You know, it's just phenomenal how full of crap you are. I just like to be safe behind the wheel. (laughs) Okay, back to last week's conversation about superchargers and flat plane cranks and all that good stuff. Uh, A lot of people have been saying over the last week that there's no way they're going to do a supercharger because there's not enough room height-wise sure. to put one on the car. Because they couldn't design enough room in. It's because turbochargers are the thing now. Well, and the other thing is, they didn't have enough room to do that. They turned it into a dry sump system because they were trying to conserve height. So probably not a supercharged engine, more likely a turbo. Every manufacturer's going turbos. Well, and the other the other thing is, if you double back to the conversation we had about uh, this generation ZR1, and they were claiming it took what, 110 horsepower to run the supercharger, which is kind of a silly thing to quote. I mean, who cares? Nobody cares. What they care about is what final output is. But you don't rob horsepower running turbos since they just run off exhaust gas anyway. Yeah, and anymore with turbocharging technology, there's minimal lag. I'm assuming that on the Corvette, they're going to probably put twin turbos in the higher performance models. One will be smaller, spool up quickly. One will be much bigger. Well, that's, that's the same RPM. thing they did on the final generation Mazda RX-7s. They well, had a smaller it's the and same a bigger, thing on, so It's the same thing on uh, even something as pedestrian as an EcoBoost uh, Ford drivetrain in the yeah. trucks and in the Focuses and all the rest of it. I mean, the twin turbocharging is the thing now. And they've got it figured out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's, there's absolutely no reason not to go that way. And again, I think because of packaging, they're going to have to. Mm-hmm. But okay, so that's our, our big Corvette talk for the week. You can go really, really fast if you buy a base model, which is cool. And uh, the problem is, it's like they're barraging us with so much information that if you're walking in the dealership and you're saying, I'd really like one of those mid-engine Corvettes, I would half be tempted to just say, I think I'll just keep my money for a year. Mm-hmm. And see what happens. And see if they come with the Z06 next year or maybe even the year after. Because, like, right now, everybody's kind of flocking there, and a lot of dealers are trying to get ADMs. Oh, and you know, I feel like as a Corvette, if I was a Corvette guy, I'd probably be saying, eh. I think I could live without it for a year and a half and go get a Z06. Why do you think I haven't put my order in? Mm -hmm. Not gonna. I'll just, I'll wait. Plus, the other thing I saw uh, Corvette related this week when I was looking around is they're saying that they will come out with a final design for the retractable hardtop convertible Corvette uh, sometime in October, and they're thinking it will be available uh, first quarter 2020, Mm -hmm. in time for spring. I kind of like the T-top design on like the normal hardtop. I think it's cool. The the standard panel. Yes, standard is just a target paneling that's super cool yeah well and I like it the idea that it doesn't weigh a whole lot you can take it off by yourself uh and it fits in the trunk that's really cool well and to me that implies that even if you got like the full convertible from a rigidity perspective you wouldn't think that would take anything away if the car's already a t-top standard yeah i don't 
I don't know that you lose anything with a retractable hardtop. Probably just gain a little bit of weight, but not much. A hundred pounds is what they said, right? Which nobody's nobody who buys that car is ever going to care about. Well, and the other difference they're saying about the convertible, and you'll, you're only going to be able to go one ninety one, Brett. I'm sorry, with yeah. the top down. Uh, that's okay. I'm not real sure I want to go that fast, regardless. <laughs> uh, the other thing they were saying about the convertible, in addition to gaining a hundred pounds, is because of the packaging again. Uh, you wind up losing the clear cover over the engine, Ugh, and you can uh, only put one golf bag in it. That's no. I don't, I don't think it encroaches on the uh, on the <laughs> luggage space any. Uh, but if you want to go 190 miles an hour with the top down and golf bags in the back, go ahead. Hair blowing in the wind. Uh, hair trying to be pulled out of your scalp. What a life. Uh, uh, I'm going to refrain from making any hair jokes right now. <laughs> <laughs> Especially about Corvette buyers. Oh, oh no. A free gold chain and a Tommy Bahama shirt. <laughs> uh, and and I, I resemble that joke. No gold chain, no Tommy Bahama shirts. Definitely Corvette buyer. Alrighty. I drove this past week and this weekend uh, a really super low mile 1996 Porsche 911, the 993 variant there. Mm-hmm. The color. Black on black. Uh, it was really, really good looking, more so than I wanted to admit, especially as a diehard Corvette. The guy. 993 and, in my opinion, the 997 both are sort of, I think they're a sweet spot. I think they both are. of them, 993 especially, though, is just kind of a, well, a, the a great design of a car. Well, plus that's final generation of air-cooled Porsches, and it's what all the purists mm-hmm. uh, preach as being the best they've ever made. I hear a lot of the Porsche guys say that they prefer the 964 chassis, but I think the 993s just look, I just think it looks right. Having not driven a 964, I have driven a lot of earlier G-bodies, you know, uh, 78 to, to uh, 89. Uh, I really like those. I love the way they sound. You do get a little bit of the overstuffed VW kind of air-cooled, flat, uh, boxer-style engine. But the steering on this thing was so good. Solid. It was amazing how tight it was. Mm -hmm. And the smallest input really did affect where it was going. The car was really, really set up. And I didn't buy it. I very much wanted to buy it. Synchro was out between first and second. Mm -hmm. And they were asking almost 70 grand for this car mm-hmm. now black on black twenty nine thousand. if you could just go back five years 000. oh man no if you just go back five years it would have been a third half. of that <laughs> half maybe but i just... passed on one for like 26 grand that was a low mileage it was like a weird purple color with a gray interior yeah, yeah, yeah. it was uh, not a great color I think it's in a, my opinion. It's a jubilee color, maybe. But uh, it was just smoked, and it was here locally in Overland Park, and it was just it was so badly smoked in that I just I said, who would ever pay that for one of these? Oh man, well, <laughs> hindsight being no what way it I'm is. paying that. And that was what five like five years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It seemed like way too much money at the time. Well, this I should have bought it. This but. was a super nice car, and had been very well detailed, and I think that they may have done really. Uh, a high-end touch-up on it because you just you can't have a car that age with nothing anywhere mm-hmm. um, but the synchro being out you know on a 911 uh, pulling the trans and go and digging into it, it's going to be a five thousand dollar proposition easy sure and that makes me 75 grand into that car and that seemed like an awful lot of money mm-hmm. but it drove brilliantly. So uh, for all you Porsche guys out there, I really, really get it. Is that I, a C2? I absolutely get it. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was. No, it was just a Carrera. Yep. Um, but uh, man, 
that was a great car, and I can't promise you that I'll never have a Porsche after that. That it's thing all about was the really size neat. on those. It's like the last generation. It it's the size. Like the nine nine sevens and sixes are also fairly small. The nine nine one just gets big. Yeah. The nine nine three is just it's it's, pr- it's perfectly promor- proportioned. It's the size of a sports car. It, it should is. be that small. It is. It and it felt like it moved around you. It the was doors in that cool. generation of car that was like the final days of doors still being thin. Yes. You know, like yes. they weren't completely overwhelmed with, with the crash standards. So no. like that still had the basic dimensions of a 911. No. And again, it was a fantastic car. I really, really wanted to take it home, but 70 grand is a lot of money for something that needs work. So sure. Had to let that one slide through my fingers. Hey, in uh, five years, you'll be sitting here on this podcast oh, and you'll be saying is... how, oh, one time I passed up on one of those. Yeah. Well, for 70 all... grand had a synchro out. Can you believe what an idiot I was? Yeah. And in five years there'll be three of them in my garage <laughs> i'll be a complete fanboy uh coming up next an excellent lane live uh there's an article out this week uh about how many more people are dying because of people who run red lights and uh it's it's kind of scary what the statistics are like and i'm we're going to be talking about that here in a minute on exit lane live next on driven radio Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, I found a bunch of articles online this week and all kinds of stuff that I searched through because there was different things I wanted to talk to you about. And one of the articles I found and something that happens to happens to be real frequent, uh, real frequent occurrence here where we live is people blowing through red lights. Mm-hmm. You see it all the time. You'll see people, you know, two, three, four seconds after you've gotten a green light in an intersection, someone will smoke through on a red. And there's a new study out from uh, AAA, their foundation for traffic safety. And it's all, all of the numbers and all the f- statistics here are from 2017. It's the year that's most that they have the most recent year they have statistics for. But in 2017, red light uh, fatalities, re- people run fatalities from people running red lights hit a 10 year high and uh, is apparently up 31 percent from 2009. The study said that there were where was that in here? There were 929 deaths from people running red lights in 2017. And the other thing that the study said, or pardon me, 939 uh, deaths from people running red lights. The other thing that the study said is that the fatalities were most commonly to the people in the other cars, not mm-hmm. in the car. Sure. Or whoever was riding shotgun said more often than not, the fatality was not the driver that ran the red light. Oh, of course not. No, it's uh, it's it's side impacts. It's the person's side impacts. Side. But the other thing was uh, with this article, and we'll have the link on the website, they had... Uh, a montage of security cameras or, or red light cameras filming people blowing through red lights and then hitting other cars. Mm-hmm. And you just, the number of times that one or more cars would roll after somebody blew a red light was incredible. You couldn't believe it because there's so many people who were uh, getting caught in the rear bumper mm-hmm. by the person who shot through the red light or getting a massive side impact because they were doing 30, 40, 50 miles an hour, sure. stuff like that. And we've all, 
we've all done it where we're not paying attention. We've blown through a red light on accident. But. Oh, I almost did it on the way over. I was, uh, you know, I'm in the Bronco. I'm cooking right along and I'm getting up to a left turn light and the light turns yellow as I'm approaching it. Not, you know, honest to God, I'm guilty of this. Any other time. I would have shot that light and tried to make it through. And after having read this article uh, today and seen the video that went with it, I just got on the brakes really hard, stopped, and and just you couldn't believe how bad some of the wrecks were in this video. Mm-hmm. It was unreal. Uh, said that it's that uh, deaths were up 31% from a low uh, in 2009 and that the fatalities in those red light collisions increased for a fifth straight year in 2017. And it also also said that the study tracked anyone who was killed, including the driver, passengers, people in other vehicles, or people outside the vehicle. Now, uh, one of the things that the study said was that the possible causes for the increase were people are driving more, they're putting more miles on their car, but also combined with distracted driving. And they said it's the rise of smartphones, mm-hmm. which have exploded in popularity since Apple introduced the iPhone in 2007, could be contributing to the surge in collisions. Sure, um, infotainment systems too. Well, and, that's, and that leads right into the other thing that said, said American drivers are increasingly distracted on the road and experts say uh, it's likely that the reason of total tra- traffic deaths have gone up uh, in 2017. They were up 13% from the all-time low in 2014. And also, cars with infotainment systems were cited as a possible cause, and they had a top 10 for most distracting cars. Um Want to take a stab at it? Any idea what uh, what you'd find in the top 10? Oh, I would assume that the majority are going... I tend to find that infotainment systems and mostly high-end European cars are the most difficult and least intuitive to use. There were some high-end European cars, but also most of the cars, now not all of them, but most of the cars were sport use or kind of family-type cars. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Audi Q7. Yeah, your, your five-year-old's throwing French fries at you from the back. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> That always counts. Uh, Chrysler 300C, Dodge Durango, uh, GMC Yukon SLT, which is essentially GMC's version of a Suburban. Uh, Honda Civic Touring. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Honda Ridgeline, the Mazda 3 Touring, uh, Nissan Armada, which is their big full-size SUV, uh, Subaru Crosstech Premium, uh, Tesla Model S, and a Volvo XC60. XC you know, on, on kind of a related note, slightly different but, but also related, a local radio show about three weeks ago was running a story about how, and of course it was very, uh, it was quite a divide in the audience, it seemed like, from people that called in, but they were running a story about how uh, elderly drivers were having a very difficult time if they buy a new car. The infotainment systems in them are getting to be so confusing oh, yeah, for them. Yeah. That they, it's the the car is, as a whole is a negative for them. They're very like even more distracted than they need to be. I think, but even as a young guy, I mean, there are some times where I'm on an infotainment system and it just takes way too much effort to get to it to do what. Like even as simple as changing a radio station, it's it oh, is yeah. a completely a, a complete distraction. That's why I like old cars. No, I don't disagree with you at all. And because I travel as much as I do, working for the magazine and uh, find myself in different cities a lot, I wind up renting a lot of different cars. And I would be, uh, I have to say that the most difficult to use ever Chrysler products 
Mm-hmm. Man, the interface, the blue, the Bluetooth they've got uh, between your phone and the car, it just stinks. Hmm. And you have to reset it every time you get in the car. It doesn't remember your phone. It doesn't remember what you're doing. And a lot of times it would just shut off in the middle of whatever you're doing, which is kind of disconcerting when you're using the GPS. You know what's interesting is that we seem to be in a glut of wanting a big screen and wanting lots of features on the inside of cars. Mm-hmm. We want infotainment systems that do everything. Sure. We claim that we want an infotainment system that's seamless. And then when you get in, say even like a, say if you got into an F-150 from 2013 that doesn't have the sync system. So it's just a little screen that shows you a radio station. Sure. And then you have a choice between Bluetooth, radio, satellite radio, but there's no big screen. And you drive that around for a day. You know how many times you miss having the big giant distracting you screen? Don't, you you don't never jack. do. You don't it's mess much with easier it. to use. Well, and that's, uh, you know, because I'm... Uh, and guess you, what else? The big screen? Just one more thing to break. You own newer cars than I do. Mm-hmm. Which is surprising because we're both old car guys. One newer car. Well, your truck. Sure. And all of my stuff is 2005 or older, Mm -hmm. which in my mind doesn't sound that old. But you think about it, hey, 2020s are out. So it's a 15-year-old car. And that's my new car. None of my cars have My newest car, for the record, outside of the pickup truck is a 77 Bronco. So let's not be casting me (laughs) as the new car guy. (laughs) Hey, 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 hey. Um, But even my... My new cars aren't that new. You know, I've got an 05 and I got a 99 Navigator. Mm-hmm. And the Navigator had a, it's got a cassette player in it. At the time, that Navigator was a fully loaded oh, no. tech experience. And no, now it's it, an analog SUV. It, it absolutely is. <laughs> it, it's got a, a CD changer in the console. Ooh, and I don't think I've ever put a CD in that car. Uh, sure you haven't, Brett. No. Sure. No. Now. <laughs> I do have in the cassette player Celine Dion, <laughs> Rod Stewart. Who else? Maybe Rod Stewart. Maybe Rod Stewart. <laughs> Never Celine Dion. <laughs> Just can't take uh, it. You have her Titanic album. You know you do, Brett. <laughs> no, but I bet my wife does. <laughs> anyway, uh, you're the- just you're rolling down Metcalf Avenue on the way here, listening to "My Heart Will Go On." I know it's it's a fact, Brett. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's really a disturbing thought, man. I'm kind of creeped out. By <laughs> it is it. a disturbing thought. I'm oh. having nightmares about that Dude, tonight. That, that gives me chills. Uh, um, no, but in the cassette player, I do have one of those little converters that will uh, sync with your phone so you can do all that stuff. And uh, that's that's as close as I get. I don't have anything that's got a big screen in it. And, and I, it sounds nice. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah, my F-150 has the old sync system in it, which F-150 owners malign for being too slow and non-responsive. Well, no, they just had a, uh, they just had a, uh, a class action lawsuit settled over the sync system and how crummy it was. I think it's a great system. I have no problem with it. And frankly, guys that want one that does more than that, I mean, I'm switching between radio stations. I I don't get it. I, if I had it my way, I the truck at a certain trim level just comes with it. You can't order a truck at a certain you trim level. You can't get it without. Not, nope. Can't get it without. No, you cannot. You can't even get like a higher end XLT without it. Two of my cars only have AM in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and then this goes into it. We, we should do this topic another time, but this goes into one of my pet peeves with all major auto manufacturers is that they give you, 
you they, can't they, order they, a stripper they, version. Well, they essentially, you can order the stripper version, but then you don't get anything else. So, like, you can't have, like, I have a Lariat. Sure. It's got a nice interior. It's a very livable truck. It is. You can't get it without the sync system. So, that would be okay if the sync system got updates every couple of years. Yeah, if you could Basically, do. them saying, we'd like to keep your truck functioning, since, like, there's a lot of functions on the truck that you only can access If you could do some kind of a screen. software update. They don't it. do that. Nope. Because they, and this isn't a, this isn't a spite against Ford, because all the manufacturers are the same way. They would rather, they don't want to sell you a $1,000 update on your infotainment system. This is really years. devolved. We started they, off talking they about They just want to sell you another truck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, we're talking about how it's time to get out of here, man. Uh, thank you for li- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we really uh, <laughs> this this went off the rails. Yeah, uh, no. there will be links to the articles on readthedriven.com. Thanks so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our audience. Clearly, you know, we we're just here for the people who are listening to us. Uh, you can find us online at readthedriven.com. Follow us on Facebook at forward slash Driven Radio Show, on Twitter at Driven Radio Show, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Vern Estes and Matthew Hickman. Thank you for listening, and we'll. We'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. 